Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's October 20th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. A little shout out to my wife. Birthday <gasps> today. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, I, I tend to shout at my wife a lot, too, but I bet you guys have a little, well, little more loving marriage there. But You, know, you only that say was... that, but I know you love her. <laughs> Doesn't mean we're not shouting at each other. Like, yeah, all that's true, too. That's true, too. <laughs> it's not like my wife's going to actually hear this show or know I even did that. But happy birthday, anyway. And I'd like to give a shout-out to my uh, one of my friends. He's a, He likes to think he's a pretty good bowler. And so <laughs> last night he texted me a, a screenshot of the uh, the scoreboard thing. And uh, apparently he rolled his, you know, 7,300,000 game. And I told him I wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed unless he also won the poker run with a five of a kind. And he said he was. So, um, you know, you're, you're just going to top that next time you go bowling, Chris. I don't, how do you how do you throw a perfect game and win the poker game? How do you top that? I don't know. Six of a kind. Right? Six of a kind, yeah. They let you play a six-card hand. 310. You know, it could be like gymnastics. If you, they give you bonus points for hitting the pin perfectly and well, not getting one of those sloppy strikes. Well, one of the, the reasons I sent that to you is because, uh, if you noticed, my teammate, bowled to 300 the same game as me right below me yes very impressive and yes. then we we get free bowling for a year now wow yeah and if there's anything you like it's free it's free stuff baby <laughs> i can see the bowling alley guy going oh my god anybody but <laughs> he's gonna break us <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be like kramer like you can't buy me I, i'm allowed to bowl right now <laughs> I bowl as much as i want that's right <laughs> oh man that's awesome so I can tell by your voice that sounds like you're hollowed out in a, some sort of tin can or something that you must be in California. Yes, I was, and I was getting funky last night with George Clinton. Oh, that's right. And uh, I love the, the venue was Ace of Spades. So when I was waiting in the very, very long line, the only one with not a uh, pot with me, apparently, uh, I was staring at the, uh, the marquee, and it was really cool to think that it, while I was out here at the Antiope uh, NorCal Classic in Thunder Valley, I was going to a concert at a venue called Ace of Spades, and they have a big Ace of Spades as their logo. So that's awesome. It, it was a it was a funky fun night, but uh, but yeah, I got a little bit of sleep and uh, ready to do a somewhat mediocre show for our fans right. today. Do you still have a contact high? <laughs> you know, I never got it. I was all upset. I was just like kind of hanging around. But, oh, man, no, no. body's immune to it. So that's half the reason you go. <laughs> You can legally get high. <laughs> All right, so as I mentioned, we're at the Andy at NorCal Classic, another Antia poker tour series at our wonderful friend and partner here at Thunder Valley Casino Resort. It kicked off Monday with a great turnout, as the first event always does. It's always their, like, 
Uh, hashtag I mean they're uh, at TV Poker Room Twitter kickoff party event and uh, it always does well and crushed a guarantee. Of course, I wasn't here, so that's why I did really well, right? Right. Uh, um, but I uh, got here Tuesday and immediately uh, was excited, uh, Chris, because I got to play the 5 o'clock event, um, which is the change-up event. Now, yeah. I don't know if we talked about this on the show before, but uh, they added this to the schedule in the World Championship, and I thought it sounded really cool. Uh, but this is the first time I got to play it. So it starts out with a normal 10-handed, uh, uh, no-limit hold'em, 9 uh, or 10-handed. And then once they get down to 24 players uh, remaining, instead of doing a redraw 27 like you normally do, they went down to get down to 24, and they do a redraw of four tables of six. And you play a shootout at that point with the uh, winners of the shootout going on to a four-person heads-up bracket. So three different types of poker muscle, all of them that hold them in the same tournament, which is really, really interesting, I thought. So, um, And I started out amazing. You know, at a point where you just, you're just you hitting everything, you're playing well, chips just like falling off the table in front of me, and people at the table are like, dude, go take a walk, you're, you're golden, make it in. And like, <laughs> now I'll stay here and lose all my chips. <laughs> and, um, and then I ran into aces twice. And, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to beat aces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. But I, um, it was interesting because uh, so I lost a huge chunk of my stack uh, against aces in the hand that I misplayed. You know, the, the third race is always what, Chris? Aces are kings, correct? Yeah, that's what uh, TJ used to tell us. Yeah, so when I'm sitting there with ace and king, I'm like, oh, well, he could have queens. And uh, I made the fourth raise and, you know, he had aces. <laughs> and um, so I lost a big chunk, and then I'm like, oh, man, all right, well, it, I'm done. Um, <laughs> I ended up winning like seven all-ins at that point. And uh, built back a modest stack, and enough so I got to the uh, redraw part because I'm like, you know, I played this whole thing to be able to do the redraw, right? Right. And uh, so I got to the redraw, and that was great. And then I was curious how they did a couple things. Uh, well, one, I was curious how they did the money because we had, um, I don't know, 60, 70 players in this tournament. And so once you got to the redraw, you just had to finish in the top three of your table. So you had to be half the people at your table to get to be in the money. Right. And then if you made it to the uh, the, the final four, you were guaranteed a thousand. Then you played for more, right? So that was kind of cool. So it was a shootout, but not really a shootout because you just had to beat half the field to get money. Of course, I could not do that, so I walked away empty-handed. But anyhow, kind of cool. But when they did the redraw, uh, this is something they did different, and they're still tweaking a little bit. So I'm curious what you think and maybe what our, our fans think. So when they get to the redraw, the first thing they did is they walked around the tables and got the four biggest chip stacks, right? Mm-hmm. So, And then they did a redraw for those four. So one of those went to each of the four tables. So you didn't have two or three or four big stacks all at one table. Then they went through and they looked for me <laughs> and the other three people with the short chip stacks, right? Right. And did the same thing. So that way you didn't have three or four chip stacks, uh, uh, small chip stacks all at the same table and redrew us. And then they did a final redraw for the rest of the players. So there ended up being some balance at the table that way. And, um, you know, I was talking to them the next day about it. And I was still trying to tweak it, trying to figure out some things. But, you know, the reason they did it was, you know, they they wanted to be sure what I mentioned, that there wasn't a lot of big stacks on one table, a lot of small stacks on one table. But when you go into heads up now, most heads up tournaments, obviously, you all start with the same amount of chips. Here you don't. You take whatever chips you have, obviously, and yeah. you're still a tournament at that point. Um, so they really didn't want it to be unfair where one player uh, that obviously did very well at his table had 
75% of the chips in play when they got the heads up. This is a way to kind of mitigate that. Right. My my initial reaction at first was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. But actually, no, this is actually the right thing to do. If you're already screwing with um, a sort of standard missionary type of tournament and making it this sort of different thing, then this is the way to go with it because it, it does make it fair. I actually love this idea because it's not... It's not fair. In other poker tournaments, hey, that's the way it goes. This is the way it happens to be perfectly fair. It's not our problem that two big stacks just happen to be together at the same table. But in this case, because of the heads-up element and the changing of, of different dynamics, this this is really probably the I'm, – somebody thought of that. It's, it's brilliant to think of that idea because you really have to to, to make it even. And – it's almost as uh, what are those duplicate decks? Remember how you, everyone has? So this is kind of the same kind of thing. It's like we'll see. All of you should really pretty much end up the same way because you all have these individual stacks that are sort of matching up with the other tables, kind of thing. You know what I mean? So it'll be interesting. This is interesting to see who emerges from each table to go to the heads up portion or whatever. So I really, I really do like that idea. I, I don't, I don't see, I don't initially, I don't see a flaw in that, and I think that's the right yeah, thing to I- do. I think the only way you can make it even more fair is if you were online or you wanted to take the time to get everybody's exact chip count and then you could actually do something where you would be able to divide up the chips almost as evenly as possible, yeah, right? That right. way you were setting up a, a heads-up bracket where you knew the four players would all be within you know, a couple thousand chips or something of each other. Right. But uh, as it was, it took a little bit of time. I don't think anybody really cares because you know, you're in, <laughs> into the change of now. Um, and, and they did it as quickly as they possibly could, um, you know, without the aid of, you know, computer. But so, but yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, and then, uh, then I played the just a good old uh, knockout yesterday morning. Uh, did not go well. Another cautionary tale, Chris, is uh, <laughs> and uh, our good friend Doc Bloomfield who writes a, a column for us on head games. You know, he's a uh, what a psychologist or psychiatrist or something like that. Um, does a great job with it, but one of the things he always says, and it's funny, I could start his column like every four months, I know he's going to say, when I get to a new room, I do a lap around the room, yeah, right? Yeah, And I want to get in the right frame of mind before I sit and play, right? Um, so yesterday morning, I uh, woke up early, uh, I went to bed early, you know, clock was all off on traveling, um, but I had a lot of work to catch up because I traveled all day, and I was not going to pay uh, American Airlines $30 for an all-day internet pass. So oh. I wasn't going to do that to you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Yes. So, outrageous. <laughs> so I was trying to get as much work done as I possibly could. Uh, and I'm like, oh, man, the podcast is tomorrow, so i got to bang out that file, finish that. And I'm like, all right, I've got I to go down to the steam room now. I'm like uh, 35 minutes to get to the steam room and shower and dress and then get to the 11 o'clock tournament, right? So I get down to the steam room and uh, prime my little st- st- spa attendant. It's like, oh, Mr. Long, good to see you again. I hope they told you at the front the steam room is broken. I'm like, no! So I had to sit in the sauna, which if you've ever sat in a sauna instead of a steam room, not the same, yeah. right? Yeah. And then and, uh, there's a rain, one rainforest shower in there, which, you know, the 47 little uh, heads, uh, just completely refreshing. A guy jumps in right before me, so I have to wait for him. I'm in the sauna. I'm like, that's right. I'll get in the sauna. I'll get all hot and wait for him to come out. And the thing I like about the rainforest shower is that there's so many heads that it literally takes you three minutes to take a shower. I mean, you're done. There's nothing yeah. else you can do. Yeah. That guy was in there for 20 minutes. <laughs> 
And I'm like, what is he doing in there? I'm like, maybe I don't want to know what he's doing in there. So I finally get out of the sauna and I go take a, a shower in the normal shower like I'm some sort of animal. And so I'm all upset now, right? Now I, I've got like five minutes before the tournament starts. I have to run to the coffee shop to overpay for two bagels and something called a hibiscus berry splash, which ended up being quite delicious, by the way. But <laughs> And then run back and registered and was late re- registered. And I sit down and I'm just – I'm all out of sorts, right? And then I never was comfortable the rest of the day. And it showed right away. I lost the first couple hands. I tried to move, make some moves against players that probably shouldn't have made moves of. And I just was never in the frame of mind. And uh, ended up getting knocked out uh, with nothing to show for it. So uh, cautionary tale to everyone. If you're not in the frame of mind to play, even if you really want to play, even if you're only here for the week, uh, it's probably best just to take a lap around there. I would have been much better giving myself another hour to catch up on on life and uh, playing cash yesterday rather than forcing in that tournament. (laughs) You never want to be uncomfortable doing anything. No, right? Especially when you're playing for money. That's true. Oh, man. Yeah, like, you know, first world problems is what we call that. Well, of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I live in the first world. That's why I tell that's, people. That's right. You have to know about them. You know what kind of problems I have. <laughs> um, all right, we'll be here through Sunday. Um, and you go to the antiantmagazine.com slash Thunder Valley for more details. Uh, if you want some easy money, I'm in uh, the show right uh, in the tournament right after the show. So you better hurry and listen. And then uh, I might play again Sunday. But that might be the last tournament. So come out and get my easy money. All right, uh, some breaking news this week. Actually, I guess it was breaking news last week, but it's actual news, not just uh, this funny, stupid, stupid, goofy stuff we talk about on the show. Uh, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie announced last week that New Jersey, Delaware, and Nevada have reached an agreement to allow their state's online poker player pools to be combined. No word yet on when it may be implemented, but uh, good news. We didn't think this was going to happen, I don't think. No, I can't believe it happened, and it's really the step in the right direction, and if, if this succeeds... It's it's gonna be I think it's gonna be huge because I think not only will it basically save these three markets, but it's gonna be a huge uh, you know inspiration to other states that hey look we can all get together and and go around the government you know or go around federal or whatever and eventually federal's gonna see that and be like hey these guys are ganging up you know we might as well make our money while we can hopefully who knows. <clears throat> it's great, yeah, it definitely though. makes it a little bit easier. It takes one more argument off the table and all the other state legislatures that are trying to get online poker passed. You know, when you're able to say, hey, if we do this, it won't just be Iowa players on there now. Hopefully we'll be able to join this um, consortium of these other three states and have some player liquidity and have it actually make sense. It changes the finances, too. So, you know, as an elected official, I always like to know, hey, Show me the money. Let me know where the money is, how much it's going to cost, or how much we're going to raise off something. And the fact that you're able now to adjust all those estimates to um, being able to combine players uh, should make it a slightly easier argument for yeah. statements. Yeah, around it, exponential. You know, very exciting. I mean, I I didn't even know that was going on. You know, that was going on behind the scenes. We'd always talked about we hope they do that for play liquidity, but they. I've never really even heard that they were doing it. So the fact that it's it's uh, been announced and they haven't said when they're going to implement it, but it's going to happen is very exciting to me. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting to it. I don't know. But I'm very excited. Well, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's because it wasn't too long ago on this show. We, we had a long discussion about the challenges inherent in this and why the three states probably were never going to be able to do it because they were going to have to agree on a bunch of stuff that didn't think we did. So... 
for whatever reason, uh, they are able to figure it all out now. So I, I do think it's uh, it's something to uh, to celebrate, and we'll we'll see how big it gets. Especially because you're right, it, it to actually get all of those, uh, I, I guess arms of of the the actual uh, rooms and stuff, and and their their rules, and to actually have somebody there saying, "Hey, we need to do this. Let's reach out to them. Hey, we need to do this. Let's reach out to them." And then they're saying, "Okay, now." We all need to get together and say what are our, our you know, demands and what are our rules and how do we line up all these restrictions and regulations and, and and to fact that there's somebody out there thinking of it, working on it means that it's on the minds of people and that's just can only be good for our game. Very exciting. Absolutely, and I don't know whether this next one would be good for our game, but it's 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 good for the show. I think <laughs> we discussed this. Uh, the International Federation of Match Poker, an organization that promotes a team version of poker, has been granted uh, observer status by the Global Association of International Sports Federations, which is a first step toward possibly being included in a future Olympics, Chris. <laughs> uh, match Poker features teams of players, each at a separate table, but dealt the same cards on a digital device. It's designed to take the, quote, random draw feature out of poker. And you mentioned at the beginning of the show kind of the trying to make uh, poker more skill-based. Now, we've seen this before. I've actually seen this group. They came to a um, poker TDA summit, not this last one, but the one, um, I guess, three years ago now, two years ago now. And they actually you know, did a little seminar where, where TD, uh, tournament directors could play this all with goofy little colored hats on it. Um, end up taking a long time, and I don't think people really got excited about it. But the concept's different. So, you know, we're not talking about um, actual poker like we normally play, making it an Olympic sport at some point, which I know people have talked about, but some version of it. Uh, now, the chances of that happening are probably pretty minuscule, but um, you're saying there's a chance, though. <laughs> Let me tell you, if this happens, uh, I will know the true meaning of bittersweet, okay, because I will be ecstatic for our sport and our company and industry and i will be super pissed because of the bowler you talked about at the beginning of the show who still hasn't seen his favorite sport become an olympic sport it's only bowl, bowling's only everywhere done everywhere internationally locally everywhere i mean it, there's more bowlers than there are poker players I mean, it's crazy. So I would love to see poker get in. It just gives me an... What's next? Oh, fan, daily fantasy sports? I saw in the article pole dancing is now going to be part of this observer stat. Pole dancing? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Pool da- pole dancing, foosball, and poker were the three most interesting. <laughs> pool. The, pool, pool, pool dancing, Scott. Pole dancing. Right, there's a lot of skill involved in that, I, I've, I've, I've heard. <laughs> you want to be on the exploratory committee for that? <laughs> now we got to go to Mons Venus and see this next athlete. Uh, <laughs> note how the uh, the spectators carefully tuck their dollar bills. I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I don't poker. Think for a minute, there's not pole dancers out there going poker. Really? Come on. <laughs> They're all those guys don't even tip waitresses. They're all out there sitting in their mirrored, you know, back rooms, putting on makeup and disgusting the the qualities of poker players and whether or not they should actually get a gold medal. It doesn't make any sense to me that, I mean, I mean, I don't understand. Like I can see, uh, like a team thing, you know, making it maybe, I, I don't know, but why, why can't it just be an individual? Why does, I mean, tennis, they don't have to have a team thing. And tennis was in the Olympics or I don't know if it's the problem. Well, I, I, 
I'm just learning about all this yesterday when I was hurriedly putting the show together yeah. before I went and lost $150 in that <laughs> tournament. Um, but um, obviously it takes some kind of uh, group that's got an international basis to be able to even to apply for this, right? So yeah. uh, I'm not aware of any other international poker group out there um you know i maybe the, the global poker league guys might be able to but that almost I, I don't know if that's that probably wouldn't work but so that's probably poker's problem with this so the, this group got together and somehow found a way to be an international federation um and therefore got them in the conversation so well stay tuned because if that gets in i I'm, i don't know what's going to happen to me i'm going to have like dr jekyll mr hyde reactions to this but uh uh, very cool for us, and yes. uh, if it happens, I'm going to be starting my own international bowling uh, federation that I'm going <laughs> to try to get bowling in the Olympics. Be sure you use the poker run during it, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, any updates? The AUPT Pearl River Poker Open at Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi is October 26th to November 5th. The 11-event series starts and ends with 100K guarantees, including the $800 buy-in main event, that will put the winner on the cover of Antioch Magazine and into the 2018 Antioch World Championship and features a couple of new interesting events, including one where winners have the option of taking double their winnings in non-negotiable table games chips. Go to antiochmagazine.com slash ProRiver for more details. We've added two more uh, Antioch Poker Cruises to our 2018 schedule, including a summer sailing to Cuba. All passengers on all sailings get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by thepokerdepot.com, a one-month membership to advanced poker training, and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more information, visit antiupcruises.com. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. comes from Mark Wittig. He says, I've been playing poker with an online group that has cash and tournaments. One cash game is a regular game with many of the same people every week and a few new or once-in-a-while players. A new player felt obligated to tell everyone that he is a magician. Any worries about a magician playing in your home game? We use two decks, shuffle behind, and then self-cut. All right. As soon as this email came in, I'm like, I cannot wait to have Chris respond to this because your father-in-law was a world-famous magician. And knowing that you guys don't ever leave the house, you just sit around playing cards all the time. <laughs> I have to wonder, did he ever make the deck all hearts at some point? <laughs> no. He, you know, I did play with him a few times, and I asked him pretty much the same kind of question that Mark is asking here. I'm like, hey, you know, I mean, you're a magician. Should there be any concern? And I, I mean, I'm not really concerned with, like, me and you playing now. I said, but, you know could there be a concern? He's like, well, let me tell you. He said, I used to play, and they, he used to play, like, um, I don't know, whatever the couples play, Pinochle, those other games or whatever. Great. And he yeah. played, yeah, whatever. And they, they, he, him and his wife played with another Euchre. couple. Huh? Euchre. Do you have Euchre up in Connecticut? I never heard of it. Oh, really? It's a Midwest game. I oh, well, well, but maybe it's just called something different. I don't know. Probably not. But anyhow, go ahead. So anyway, I don't know what it is they played. Bridge, whatever it is, but they played the couples games. So it's probably Pinochle. And... Uh, a woman accused him of cheating, but it wasn't <laughs> card related. It was like money related. Did he, did he cut her in half? That's what I would. <laughs> yeah, he put her in the box. It said, <laughs> "Let me show you about cheating." Um, <clears throat> so I asked him. I was like, "You know, 
if you wanted to, could I be screwed, you know, playing with you right now? And he's like, no, not really. He said, I mean, there are, there are false shuffles that he could do, you know, but he'd have to know where the, you know, he could, he have to be like a worm thing, but that's what he'd have to practice to do it. You know, you know, when magicians do their tricks, they have decks that are their decks that are set up to do things that they've been practicing with those particular decks. It's not like they just grab any deck and then do the trick that you want them to do. They have tricks that they can do with a brand new deck. They have tricks they can do with the decks they set up. But they're not going to grab some random deck that you've been playing with all night and shuffled around and everything and then do a trick with it. So it's not like that's true magic. You know what I mean? Now, sure, he can <sighs> he can sort of pick up the... I know, I'm sorry. It's like the day you found out Santa Claus didn't exist. But, <laughs> um, but it, it, if he starts to pick up the cards in a certain way and then he could sort of shuffle them that makes the ace come out to him or something or deal from the bottom of the deck if you're not careful but you know I mean that's another reason why we have cut cards and everything and yeah and a truly world class magician could somehow do it but you'd have to like not be paying attention to him really at all and if you knew so I think this guy did the right thing saying hey I'm a magician but uh, feel free to watch me I'm not doing anything stupid so if I somehow have a big winning night and then you find out a magician after that I don't want you to think I cheated you because I didn't. And so I think it was the right thing this guy did, but no, I don't think you should worry about it, especially with two decks. You know, the self-cut thing, maybe, you know, if you feel better, let someone else cut and whatever. But other than that, I mean, yeah, it's the, most of these magicians are doing their tricks with loaded decks or with brand-new decks that are already in the right order, you know. So I wouldn't worry, Mark. Yeah, I think the first thing I said was, unless this guy is really trying to run a post-oak bluff here, you don't come into the game, the first game, and go, hey, guys, I'm a magician, if you're getting ready to rob everyone, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you kind of leave that behind, and then you, you know, if, you, if you're really trying to cheat somebody, you win four or five times, and people start Googling you, and you're like, ah, I knew it! <laughs> um, so the fact that he comes out and says it, I think he's trying to be upfront and, and let you know, hey, I, I'm not here to cheat you. I'm a magician who likes to play cards, so I hope you guys can let me play here. Um but, you know, another reason I don't like the two decks, the shuffle behind and the self-cut. So, sorry, Gambit. But um, I just think it's more social when you use one the one deck and get you some time to talk and, and uh, talk about the hands, which we do in our home game all the time. That's one of the reasons I really like our home game back when <laughs> yeah, we had it. <laughs> it was that we actually spent that, that downtime where you're shuffling. You didn't get as many hands in during the day, but use that downtime while you're shuffling to kind of discuss the hands a little bit and, and, and make everybody a better player from that. So... Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I get the efficiency of the two decks and the shuffle behind. Um, it just puts a little bit more pressure if you're worried about the magician because now you got to be watching that other shuffle while a different hand is going on. Yeah. Um, and I guess I got to say, I don't get the self cut. Yeah, it what's takes, the point? It takes like six seconds for the guy next to you to cut. I don't get the point of the self cut because yeah. if, if you you shuffle the deck, you know you didn't cheat yourself. Or I mean, I don't get it. I don't get the point of the cut. The cut is so like, hey. You know, let's make sure it's one last thing, and in case you were trying to put something on top for yourself or for your buddy or something, we just cut that out. But right. the self-cut is kind of ridiculous because he can just do whatever he wants and not cut or recut or I don't know. It's just silly. But the other thing about two decks too, especially when you're playing a stud game, I hate it because you're sitting there worried about gathering all the cards. Meanwhile, the other deck is dealing, and you're not seeing what cards are being folded. You're trying right. to keep in your mind what cards are out, trying to get a little system going in your head or something. Meanwhile, oh wait, where are the other cards? Where's the cut card? Do you have the cut card? Meanwhile, the five cards already, five decks hands have already folded, and you don't know what cards are gone. And you look down, and you got well, hmm, did any of my sixes fold? Did any of my ten? You know, so 
one deck is fine with me. I mean, I like having two decks when it's a big game, you have like ten people maybe or something, and then you have enough time to... But even then, you know, I mean, I'm all about playing as many hands as possible. But at the same time, yeah, like, I like what you said, too. We do, we sort of, when we fold, we're like, we start to sort of rehash it and do the post-mortem or something. And, like, wow, man, I should have, re- you know, done this. or. But uh, I wouldn't worry about the magician, just to get back to the original point. Well, I, I would say if he pulls a rabbit out of the deck, <laughs> that point, maybe. If, you know, if he makes the Statue of Liberty disappear, now I'm a little worried. Yeah, if he offers to make you disappear, then you've got something to worry about. Still those things, though. You're probably all right, Mark. Uh, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. Comes from Dead Money Dave. And I think uh, this is one of the ones we got into the magazine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Dave should be happy about that. Uh, he says, as I was leaving my local casino yesterday, the cage supervisor pulled me aside and tells me that a few days prior, the cashier overpaid me when I cashed out. He said they have it on video and showed a picture of me leaving the casino, but no shots of the transaction or my chips. It was a cash out size that is very unusual for me, and I remember counting it carefully when I left the table. The cage transaction was verified by the cashier, the supervisor on duty, and again by me. I requested that they show me a picture of my chips, which they must have, and they refused for security reasons. I asked the cage supervisor, if you were me, would you just turn over 100 bucks because security said you owed it? He said security is 99.9%, uh, I guess he means uh, is right 99% of the time. Uh, I ultimately decided that the relationship with the casino was worth more than the $100 they were asking me to return and gave it to them. They reciprocated with $50 in, dollars in comps, and I'm still a little unsatisfied. Should I have stood my ground and demand to see proof? Would you hand over $100 in this situation? I was actually really waiting for Elliot to respond to this, because sometimes I have like an inkling. This one, I had no inkling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just tough. All right, so Elliot says, uh, I've seen this situation more times than I can count. Sounds like counting is a problem here. But, <laughs> uh, speaking from the operator's perspective, casinos are quite hesitant to ask for overpays to return unless it has been verified and re-verified. This goes for chip and slot ticket cash-outs as well as table games wagers. Correspondingly, the vast majority of casinos try very hard to return underpays to their players. In fact, the footage of these incidents is almost always forwarded to the gaming commission or agency responsible for oversight of that casino. Casinos cannot just extract funds from players in the form of uh, recover funds on a whim, nor can they pay out players in the form of a refunded underpay in the same vein. Variances are obviously bad for the bottom line, but also have some serious consequences for the cashiers. Recovered variances usually save a cashier's job. All this is to say that casinos don't take lightly at all the retrieval of overpaid funds from their players. You want to see at least a still shot of the chips, and the cash was not unreasonable. The reason for not showing the photos is that it may be against regulation to divulge camera angles in any way, uh, though, uh, anyway, through the tinted bubbles are ubiquitous. Uh, sorry, though. The- <laughs> yeah, even though. <laughs> Uh, it's probably Elliot always has to use these seven syllable words. So, but all right, now uh, it may be tempting to stand your ground without photo proof, and some casinos will back down and write off the money. Some casinos, whether by policy or regulation, will prohibit you from playing until the funds are recovered. Unless you were visiting a ridiculously underregulated casino, I'm pretty certain you paid back money that should not have been paid to you. You received a nice food comp for your trouble, and probably helped a cashier remain secure in their job. This could have ended much worse for you and for the cashier. Um, it may have felt sour, but it was kosher. Yeah, I uh, one I didn't think this was possible. 
I mean, they paid you. It's their it's their mistake. They should write it off. I didn't realize that they would come after you for their mistake. You know, I mean, it's it's I I'm happy to pay it back. I'm not like like the like they always say about you don't want to win on a technicality or an angle shoot or something. But right. but I mean, hey, they, at least show the guy. You know, what I mean, he said if I read that correctly, you know, he said it was a, a different, it was a, an odd cash out for him. So he was sure he counted his money before he went up there's chips. And then when he left, he was happy with what they paid him. It was what he thought it was. And then now they're telling him we paid you too much and they won't even show him the proof that they paid him too much. That doesn't seem right to me. If they could prove it and you want to keep going back to that casino, Hey, you know, give back the money. It's not yours, but they made the mistake and they let you leave with that money. That's, I mean, and then they won't even prove to you that they made the mistake. And even if they did, it's, I mean, it's like, hey, you made the mistake. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I spent that money on gas. Well, I want to go get a loan now because I, I'm, you made a mistake and I didn't realize you made that mistake. The, the onus is on you, not me, for making the mistake. I mean, I'm fine giving the money back if I have it and I can afford it and I could. And, you know, of course, cashing out in front of them with all that money right there means you have the money to give it back. But, um, but still, it, it was surprised me. Even Elliot's answer surprised me. I, I've never heard of anyone being overpaid anyway, but I've definitely never heard of a place going back to the person and saying, "Give us back the money," or, "Hey, guess what? You know what? We shorted you fifty bucks last week. Here's the fifty bucks." I've never heard of that happening. So I was shocked by that answer. Shocked. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've just never really um, encountered it, as you mentioned. It just, it, I mean, obviously mistakes can happen, but it seems like the cashiers and, and the whole process is really, really um, fine-tuned everywhere I go. Um, to the point now where I almost, you know, when they when they count out like, all the money back to me, and I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, I trust you, maybe yeah. I should um, so yeah, this is a whole new uh, ball of wax. I mean, obviously, I think he was right. He could have just walked out, and I mean, they're not going to. I wouldn't think they're not going to sue him to get that money back. Um, but you know, as he mentioned, um, you know, he likes playing in that casino. So right. you know, we're giving him a hundred bucks to be able to continue to play in the casino, and yeah, uh, so that that's difficult, I guess. You know, um, you know, part of this is I I don't. I never subscribe to the customer is always right uh, mantra. So, you know, if, if I, and I never want anything I didn't earn. So if the mistake was proper, I have no problem giving that money back. Now you're right. If uh, it was a huge mistake and I just, uh, you know, bought a birthday gift for my niece and now I really honestly didn't have it to pay back, that would be difficult. Um, but you know, I, yeah, I, I want to give the money back if I did just, just as much as if I went in there and said, Hey, uh, you guys shorted me 50 bucks <laughs> yesterday, you know, go look at the eye in the sky. I would have demanded I got the $50 back. So I guess if you want one, you have to accept the other, but it's just interesting that, that when you walk back in, they, they immediately know you, Hey, that's dead money. Dave, he owes us a hundred bucks. Stop yeah. at the cake yeah. and, and collect it. So, which is a good reminder too, that, you know, if you're going to commit a crime, it's bad to do it in a casino because there are cameras everywhere and they know who you are at all times. So, um, not that you should commit crimes anywhere, but uh, be smart about being dumb. <laughs> uh, we got to uh, complete O'Malley's move today. Let's refresh our memories here with part one. Hello. 
Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're in a $1, $2, no limit hold'em casino cash game. We're playing seven-handed right now, and are about even, $200. The table plays like a typical no limit hold'em casino cash game. A few fish, a few solid players, and a maniac or two mixed in. The blinds post, and we get three limpers to us on the button with the tray of diamonds, deuce of diamonds. Okay, we'll see a flop. The small blind calls, big blind checks, and with $10 in the pot, the flop is awesome. Six of diamonds, five of spades, four of diamonds. It's checked to the player to our right, who bets $5. This player started the hand with over 300 and has been playing pretty solid all night. Although we've only seen him turn over one hand, ace-king suited where he turned the nut flush. We're going to raise it here. I don't want to slow play with this many people in the pot. We make it $15 to go. The small blind, a calling station who will bet out at pots if he feels like he can push people out, instantly calls. He has about 175 It's folded to the player to our right, who also calls. With about $50 in the pot, the turn is the eight of spades. The small blind again checks, and the player to our right makes a $40 bet into the pot. It's to us. What's the move? All right, if he's sitting on pocket sevens or some other random seven, he would have played his hand exactly the same way, and he just caught up to us. Uh, but we still have flush outs that he's less likely to have. It may be a little dangerous since the small blind could be sitting on bigger diamonds, but since he's a calling station and likely to uh, come along with us, I'm willing to take the risk that he doesn't uh, take the risk that he doesn't have those diamonds uh, for the reward of keeping him in the pot. Uh, for all those reasons, I'm going to make the call. Uh, you know, to me, an unraised pot means that we could be needing the five of diamonds to win, which is pretty scary to me. Um, I really don't like this spot or the odds. I'm folding. Let's see what happens. Hello again. Our straight is probably no good anymore, but we're fairly certain the small blind is in third place in this hand, and he's most likely going to call, giving us odds to hit our flush, which will also most likely be good. Yes, I found a situation where I'm not using implied odds loosely to justify a call, however bad it may seem. We call. The small blind also instantly calls, and we see a river of the jack of clubs. The small blind again checks, and the player to our right shoves. Easy fold. But once the small blind calls, we get to see pocket sevens, and the small blind mucks. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, Be wary of the ignorant end of straights. They can already be beat, but at the very least, they're extremely vulnerable. I hope to see you on the felt. Well, again, I'd like to call the turn for the reasons O'Malley mentioned, um, especially the small blind. I think that's important in when you're sizing up these situations. It's not so much about what cards you have and what everybody else has. It's, you know, if you it's getting the push and pull thing. So I wanted to pull this guy into the pot, which made the odds a little bit better for me. Um, and uh, that all worked out for O'Malley and I. And then the the card gods did not work out in the reverse. So it was an easy pull. But uh, it cost us more money than you, but uh, I still like our play. Yeah, I mean, we all agreed a fold was in order. We just did it on the wrong street. Different streets, I mean. I did it in our street earlier. But uh, I just, I don't know, I just felt funny about that. I didn't, you know, I don't know what was going on there, but I just felt funny. An unraised pot, small cards like that. Um, and then when it, you know, that just any random seven to me just felt like it could be there. We would need exactly a specific, because, you know, a lot of limpers with high suited aces, you know, suited aces or whatever, too, could be in there. And it's just, I don't know, just a uh, scary, scary hand for me. So 
All right, very good. All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations a podcast at ntfmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Uh, Rich Bodner's back in the house this week, Chris, and uh, he said uh, he was at a 1-3 no-limit hold'em game. I've been playing at the table for about one and a half hours. I started with 250 and now sitting with about 525. I've probably played about 10 to 12 hands. I think that I've won four or five of them. Well, wow, it's a pretty good start. Jeez. Uh, I went to showdown twice. Uh, I think I have, I'm projected as a tight, aggressive player. I played loosely, win in position, but only had one real bluff that paid off. The others I let go before the river. I did not show many hands, but when I did, it was a set or better. Uh, he gives us a little bit more background here. It says this uh, was three or four hands before the actual actual hand to be evaluated. There were nine at the table. I'm in middle position with 9-9. Nine, nine. Down there again, calls and a race of 16. I think that the uh, seat seven dealer big blind call, the flop is 5 8 queen rainbow. I just checked me and I bet 30. Everyone drops, but the dealer and under the gun. Uh, the turn is a nine and I bet $50. Dealer drops and the other gun thinks about 30 to 45 seconds of call. Uh, the river's a deuce. There's no flush draws, but a possible spray. Just checked me and I bet $100. Under the gun thinks about it and complains about my play. Something about not. Playing many hands and betting hard. He was in the eight seat and I'm in the two seat, so we're at opposite ends of the table. He folds and I take down the pot. I do not show my cards. I've not shown cards during this time except when I've gone to the end, and uh, this player ends up being the villain in the next hand. So okay, uh, there are eight players at the table now, and we are sitting with five twenty-five. The villain has been shown to be a skillful player playing slightly aggressive. Uh, when he has shown, they have been quality hands, top pair or better. Hard to tell what his range is. Uh, it looks to be a regular and is sitting with about eight to nine hundred dollars in front of him. I'm in the big blind and the villain is the dealer. Uh, everyone calls except for one player, and I look down in big blind with four six offsuit. So we can just check, right? Exactly, right? So yeah, we're not going to be stupid. <laughs> So that's exactly what he does. The flop is the seven of spades, five of clubs, seven of clubs, and small blind checks to us. Uh, you know, if if just about everybody limped, I mean, I don't, I really don't know what we're hoping to accomplish here. Make a straight when easily somebody could have limped with a seven and could be going with boat, you know, somehow getting a boat eventually or even have a boat or and I'm not saying that, you know, when we do these hands of the week, we know what's going to happen, basically. I don't know this hand. I don't have it in front of me. But, I mean, we always think, well, he's going to probably lose his hand. But just to think to yourself, the things you have to go through your mind here is you're going to be out of position the rest of the hand. You don't have a hand yet. And they all limped. So what kind of cards limp? Suited connectors, baby pairs, and suited aces. And when suited aces are limping, they're usually limping with an ace and a baby card with them. So you could be looking at a seven here. You could be looking at, uh, you know, a five seven. You can look at any seven. And so you're going to have to make your hand, which might not even be good enough if you make it. So to me, yeah, we were hoping for a good flop, but I would want one of those sevens to be a tray of hearts uh, before I'll go crazy with it. So I I don't know I, I really feel like I would rather just check call, and then get a feeling if you know if the bet is small and it's somebody feels like somebody's taking a stab, and then you end up getting heads up with this person and then maybe you make your turn on the you're straight on the turn I mean that's something I might 
reevaluate, but to just say, hey, I'm going to try to narrow the field and take it down here because I'm in the blinds, and they're going to think that I'm in the blinds with maybe a 7-5, and I don't, I don't know. I just I don't want to get too involved in this hand when it can't even be the nut hand no matter how hard you try. So I'm just I'm going to check. Yeah, I think it's an intriguing situation here for a couple reasons. Well, and obviously <clears throat> we have the open end straight. As you mentioned, though, it may not be good if he gets there. Um, uh, but I also like when I'm in the big blind. This is kind of a flop that hits big blinds often. So even though it hasn't hit us, I mean, we don't have anything right now. We still have six high, right? Uh, I kind of feel like I want to make a bet here. If I can win this pot without actually having a real hand, that is a good result for me. Um, the other scenario that I kind of like by betting here is if somebody has a naked seven right now, um, they're going to stick around, and if we happen to hit our straight on the turn, then we're in a good spot. We obviously have to fade their boat outs, but uh, there's a chance that we could make a decent amount of money on this. Uh, the flip side is it's a very dangerous hand to be continuing with, so um, I think that goes back to my first thought is that I, I'm going to take a bet here, represent that I hit something like this. The fact that the board is somewhat coordinated, you know, two clubs and also obviously the straight draw possibility out there i think we'll get credit for having a seven and uh, maybe we can win this pod and, and not have to be put in tough situations later on so uh, i'm gonna pet uh, bet <laughs> gonna pet the cards as well too um i don't know how much is in we had what the everyone calls so a lot of people in here so i'll make a whatever a half half size pot bet and and see what happens so when they raise you here what do you do you waste well, it depends. you get yeah, out i or? feel like a if I feel like I'm going to be heads up and it, it's not an outrageous raise, I might, might go ahead and, and peel one off um, be, because I'm going to think that if I'm being raised, it's probably not a boat. It's probably a naked seven um, and therefore I have a chance of, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a risky chance, but it's a chance that if I hit my straight card on the next street that uh, that I could get a stack here. So, uh, but if it's, a bunch of people, it's a big reason a bunch of people are in, too. I don't know. I guess I'd have to evaluate that as well, too. Um, but if it's a very large raise, then at that point, it's probably not worth it to me. What scares me is the types of hands that would have a 7 are the types of hands that fill in our straight. So if we get an 8 on the turn, 7-8 is the type of hand that would limp. And now we've made our straight that we think is the, the nuts or nut straight or whatever, and he's made a boat, even if it's 7-3. You know what I mean? Somebody could have 7-3. Very easy in the small blind or whatever, you know. Small so, crazy, you know what I mean? It's just a scary thing. You would bet out too, right? Because you never, you never should be betting, uh, not betting your sets. So, or and, and and even worse, trips you should be betting. So, that's that's the only person I can have a seven try. So you're right. I think if the trade comes, I feel a lot more comfortable with this hand than I do the eight. But you're right. The seven eight would be a hand that is not exciting to me. Yeah. So, I, I guess in that sense, we can't really look at this as being open ended. So. But all the more reason to, to bet now, hopefully take it down and, and take a pot with six high, I think. And no, then, I'm dying to know what happened now because there's no <laughs> way I'm betting here. All right, our hero bets $25. A uh, player to my left calls. Uh, another player calls and the dealer button call – or the button calls. Three uh, calls. Recall. But no raises. So uh, <laughs> see where we go from here. Though. Walk in the dog. <laughs> Turn is the deuce of diamonds. So our board now is uh, seven of spades, five of clubs, seven of clubs, deuce of diamonds, and we are first to act. See, this is why I didn't want to bet, because if you miss and you've taken control of the hand, they're expecting you to bet again. And now you've yeah, wasted 25 bucks. 
there's lots of times you take that uh, that that the lead on the flop just to see whether you can take it down. You don't, and you you give up control. I mean, we got six high here, so I you know, know. We took and now and we check, and then they bet, and we wasted twenty five bucks. Yeah, we didn't waste it. I mean, that, that play is going to work a decent amount of time to pay off. And, and to a full you, table? It's hard to, be, to imagine the full ring somebody folding there. But, okay. Um, I'm checking again. All right. Yeah, I think you're right. At this point now, now i got to slow down a little bit. And, yeah, it's going to look like I'm waving the white flag, and we are. But um, that's what happens. So, uh, you know, I can't be upset about it. So. But I can't imagine putting more money in here when we have three callers. And so either somebody's sitting on a seven, somebody's sitting on a boat, as you mentioned, um, or somebody's drawing to clubs or straight to. Yeah. Exactly. So we got a lot to fade here. So, and so we can't really better way out of this pot now because realistically, somebody has a made hand that's not going to go anywhere, I don't think. So, all right, here we decides to bet 50. And everyone folds except for the dealer. Wow. An unexpected turn. So, um, But he says uh, that player takes about a minute to call. Uh, and uh, he thinks about it, counts out chips and piles of 10, then stacks them up, holds them for a few seconds, and then calls. Uh, the river is the tray of hearts. So our final board, seven of spades, five of clubs, seven of clubs, deuce of diamonds, tray of hearts. And as you mentioned, there are no flush draws and are no flushes. Um, and we have the nut straight now, and we are first to act. Well, he gave me all those details about the call, and it sounds like a Hollywood call. It sounds mm-hmm. like something. I mean, you know, if you're really thinking about the hand, you're going to sit there and think about the hand. You're not going to have theatrics of how you're stacking your chips and holding onto your chips and should I put them in and. You know, I, I think that you've you've made up your mind already, and you've. I I think that he may have a random seven, and we're going to get a lot out of him. That's possible. Yep. Um, but at the same time, he could just be setting you up, and he's already got it, and he's just Hollywooding it. So, I don't think I would check here. I might bet like eighty or something. They try to get paid off, but at the same time. You know, I don't think if he had a boat he's going to shove, he's going to want to get paid off. So maybe you check and he bets 80 and you call and you're happy. Because if you bet 80 and he raises now, you're not going to know what he had. Uh, and you're going to feel like you have to call that, especially if he min-raises you or something. And so I don't know. I'm really on the fence here. I might even check. And then if the guy checks behind and shows a 7 or missed, missed flush draw, you know, you'll go... <sighs> But if he if he misses his draw, you weren't going to get any money out of him anyway. If he has a seven, you would have got some money out of him. And so maybe it's a coin flip in your mind whether to bet. I, I like to be cautious here, check, see if he tries to steal it with a missed flush draw or something reasonable, and then you call it. I I don't know. I know he made our straight, and that's what we're going on, and I'm probably going to get flamed for that. But I just think that if this guy was – especially that Hollywood thing he set me up with there on a turn, if I really believe this guy might have something after that call, I might check call. I don't think he's going to shove with a boat because there's no reason to. We were, you know, right. we were trying to take this hand and whatever, and uh, so I don't know. I think I might check actually, which just sounds really passive. I'm not usually that passive when I play, but I checked all three streets here. Well, I, I think it's easier for us to check here because we were so aggressive the rest of the hand. If we played the hand like you and I were going to play, we would need a bet here to get some value out of here. But we we built up a pretty nice bot, pot here by. 
betting out on the flop and then betting out again on the turn. Yeah. So it's a decent amount of money in here. So now we have the uh, we've earned the option here to slow down and check. And if uh, he's you know if he has a seven, he's probably going to bet, and then we're going to get money out of it. Uh, obviously, if it's a boat, he's going to bet, and as you mentioned, you know it's going to be at a lower price, so we're going to lose the minimum. I think at that point, and if he has nothing, he wasn't going to put anything else in the pot anyhow. So I, I think there's a, all advantages to checking here, and if for some reason had some kind of weird hand that he might have called that we could have beat, then that little bit of value we're giving up was mitigated by the fact that that we got so much value in the hand earlier. So the other thing too, Scott, let me ask you a question. It, if you had a seven in your hand, just a seven, okay, and you were this guy, and you saw that he bet, and I don't know where he was in the the line of calling here and position on the table, but if we bet our 25, opponent, and were, can you tell me? Our opponent was on the buttons. So. so there you go. So we're last to act. If you had a seven here, and our friend uh, Rich bets 25, and then there are two callers before it gets to you, if you had a seven... Naked just seven, a seven, yeah. right? You're you raising to... there. Yep, yep. So if you don't have a naked seven, then you why are you calling? Are you calling for a flush draw because the board's paired and you've got other guys coming along? So then when it gets down to just you and him, and he bets fifty, and you have a naked. If you if you didn't have a naked seven at that point, if you're going for a flush draw, you're thinking there's no. Why would you? He's betting big into you. Do you really call fifty with one card to come for a hand that's not even the nut hand? So I really feel like we're beat here. I, I mean, I, I just don't feel like we have the right, the best hand because if you had a, bo- a boat to flop, then you're just calling those $25 bets. If you had a random seven, you're raising. And if you're going for a flush draw, you might call one $25 bet and hope it gets there and see how everybody reacts. But when it doesn't get there, don't you just let it go after this guy is still betting into you and out of the blinds so it looks like he has a seven and you're going for a draw? He could already have a boat betting into us. So... I feel like this guy is just walking us, but uh, that's yeah. just how I feel. No, no, I think there's a very high degree of probability of that, which all plays back into check check calling and check calling if it's reasonable. Right. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. So, all right, let's see what happens here. Um, our hero bets 100, and our opponent, after a couple seconds, moves all in. Which in the beginning of the hand he had us way covered. Yeah, he had eight to nine hundred. So we're going. So, so we bet two hundred on this hand basically, and we'd have to risk three twenty five with a street. But it just, I just feel beat here. This is why I would have checked. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know what the odds are, and people will probably just be like, "What are you crazy? There's no way this guy's got a boat." We're calling with our straight, but I, I would, I would not have bet that hundred. That's for sure, and I would have laid it down. Well, and here's the problem with the hundred. I think is that that emboldened him to go all in. He's like, "This guy's bet out all, every street." So if he has the boat, which I wouldn't be surprised if he turns over here, the guy's probably going to call me now if I go all in. Why, why should I just raise the two hundred to three hundred? I might as well just shove, and there's a good chance he's going to call. So or if we didn't bet it. Now he's like, okay. Now the guy's slowing down, so now I'm in value mode. I gotta bet. I gotta make a bet that's going to get called, and it's not going to be all in. Uh, he would have bet less, and then maybe we would have had a chance to call. It might cost us more than the hundred bucks. You know, I don't know if we check and he bet two hundred, and we decided it was worth two hundred here. It would cost us more if we fold here. But this is a tough fold now because now we're always going to wonder, right? But right. it's the right fold to make, I think. Um. 
so we we would have missed uh, we would have avoided all that opportunity by just checking and, and letting him set a price. Now it's possible he could have still gone all in and we've been in the same spot, but up a hundred bucks. <laughs> so yeah, and I always think when I about to bet on the river, I always think to myself, okay, how much am I going to bet? And then when I think how much I'm going to bet, I think to myself, would I call that bet? You know, it's a lot of the reverse thing where they always say, if you're willing to call that bet, why not make that bet? But that's always right. in the beginning of the hand, you know, after the flop or pre-flop or something. It's never at the end because at the end you can be re-raised, you know, it's it, it's erased. And so to me, I feel like, hey, I'm willing to bet 100. I bet you if I check, he may bet 100 and I'll just call 100. And then I'll feel like, well, that's what I would have bet. And I'm going to get forced out of his hand because it's very odd that he would shove for 400. You know, at the end of that pot when there's only 200 in the middle, so um, I I think a check call of 100 was a little more reasonable. I was talking about 80 earlier in the conversation, so yeah, I don't like to bet out, and I I'm gonna have to fold now. I really don't think our straight is good, and if he's bluffing, I you know we, he had a little history with this guy earlier, so and he didn't like the way we played. He knows we only bet strong for strong hands, so I think he you get that information in your head, and he he's thinking, hey, this guy only bets when he's got big hands, and I'm still willing to bet into him. He's got to have you beat. He's he's hoping you probably have a seven in your hand, or that you made it straight because he's got a better bow. He might have pocket fives for all you know. Yeah, yeah, I got to fold. Yeah, all right. Our hero says I am slightly stunned and think for a moment, ten to fifteen seconds, on what he could have. I deduce two possible hands: a set of seven or a set of sevens for a straight. It also enters my hand that he could be bluffing, trying to push me off my hand due to the previous encounter above. Uh, but I make the call, and he turns over 7-5 yeah. for a f- boat. Yeah. Thus, my night's over, and I go home with regret that I did not evaluate the hand more thoroughly. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is from the beginning. This is, a, this is a hand that I really would want to avoid getting involved in. Even though we were in the blinds, I think we talked about it earlier. It's like, hey, th- this hits the wheelhouse for limpers, 7-5. And it hits the small blind, too, if you think about it, but it, it didn't matter. And the fact that he was... Hollywooding it up on the turn and willing to call on a paired board, he wasn't going for a flush. You know, it just felt like if he, he, if he had a random seven and didn't have the full house, he would have raised that flop bet of yours because he had two other callers and he didn't want all those people in the same hand with him with a random seven that they could hit their, their backdoor, you know, flush or backdoor anything. You know what I mean? So he, he would want to get you out, but because he had the, the nut full house, he just walked you all the way to the end. And uh, yeah, always reevaluate. When when I whenever a board pairs, I'm almost out of there all the time, especially in a multi-way pot. And if I'm taking trying to take it down with one and it didn't work, I'm done with the hand. You know, okay. I'm done with it because there's no reason why that guy, if he had a random seven, wouldn't have raised that that flop bet. <sighs> That's uh, poor Rich. Sorry, bud. <laughs> all right, I'm Chris Costenza. What? What? I said we learn from our mistakes. Yeah, we learn from our mistakes. I'm Chris Costenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.